0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations with Calvin Weider Species. Uh, chronologically, it's it's just past the first week in August. And um, there are interviews, and there are interviews. And and there are commonalities. When uh, I reach out into the world and find commonalities, and and having met John Petrelli and, and the universe brought us together, and however the universe works, it brought us together, uh, John John has been uh, uh, a fitness coach, physical nutritionist, and stuff for thirty years, and and he's written, um, which is amazing, "Confessions of a Hollywood Trainer," uh, with actually a, um, a a forward by Sebastian Maniscalco, and it's a bestseller, and it's on Amazon, and I'll be holding this up throughout. Uh, and and John and I we've been talking a couple of hours the last couple weeks uh the the the, whatever he does i'm such a a fan and believer because i'm a living i'm just a poster boy for the the basic ingredients of john petrelli's journey uh of exercise and health and mind control all this stuff because you know i'm functioning better now than um than i ever have in my life and you know I'm, i'm 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 actually approaching that octogenarian status but this is a special special interview before uh I, I gotta do my own commercial uh uh because uh and this is real fast there's a tortoise in my hair a journey to spirit uh it's a novel uh it's mine and it's coming out in a month uh watch for it uh it's um and that's a sneaker by the way uh on the Jersey Shore jetty uh go take a look at it it's my sneaker on the jersey jersey shore study it, it's really a journey of a, a character named cameron simmons through his life and what's interesting I she said it to john what's interesting is this character had a hard life you had a hard life and let's start talking about that uh um so i'm well, done with my off. monologue take it away a little bio and and some of your early journey john which is kind of haunting Man, I can't thank you. First off, Calvin, as you said, we
1: talked a little bit beforehand, a little bit more than a little bit, and uh, I feel blessed to be on here. You provide a platform for these stories to take life and get out there and breathe breath into possibly somebody that is experiencing something similar and they can relate to it. And I'm all about helping as many people as possible. And we talk about this, if we help one person on this. It's through your grace that we're able to have this platform. And maybe somebody sees this a month from now or a year from now or whenever. And they're in a place where they need to hear it. And uh, it's an honor for me to be on here and take the time to do this and share that with you. So I really appreciate that and appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. You're welcome, buddy. And, um, you know, you talked about commonalities. I feel like in life in general, there's not a lot that separates us before we get into specifics, we have so many commonalities as human beings. And I feel like today's society, we may be more with technology projecting what our differences are. And we have so many common threads that bind us as human beings, love, wanting to be loved, wanting to, to achieve something, wanting to have our voice heard. And I feel like if we can focus on those things, then you know everybody's life and experience will be enhanced. You talked about my background, and I think before I get into the foreground of what's happening today, it's important to understand where my roots are, because I really want people to understand that, yes, our stories are all unique, but we do have a common thread. And if I can achieve the things I've achieved, whether you think they're great or not great, whatever, imagine what you can achieve out there as a listener. Imagine the things that you can accomplish as an individual, pairing up with people like-minded, people that are going to hold you to high regard and hold you to a high standard so as a kid I'm a first generation Italian American my parents were born in Italy Um, my mom was born in Naples my dad was born in southern Italy in a place called Bari and my dad was born in 1921 he was born during the depression he was much older than my mom when they got married I say he was the original Hugh Hefner he was in his 40s And my mom was in her twenties and my dad is, and let me preface all the things I'm going to say here today that I take full responsibility for everything in my life. I'm not blaming anybody else for my actions, but I do think it's important to understand that we only have the tools that we have with our experiences from life. So my dad was born during the depression and he's, family his dad had another family unbeknownst to him and his mom a kumad is what they say in italian and my dad found that out in his teen years and that i'm sure built he never really uh, communicated it but it sure it built and put an imprint on him of some resentment and my dad went into the military at 18 and he served in three wars he was in world war ii korea and vietnam So my dad had a lot of exposure to different types of violence, different types of things that probably aren't the nicest things to see. And Calvin, maybe it's maybe it's a gender thing. Maybe it's a time thing. Maybe it's a little bit of everything. But sometimes as men, we don't feel comfortable expressing emotions. Right. Whether they're seen as weakness or however we view that. And maybe females are sometimes a little bit more in tune with that part of their, their, their body, their intuition and expressing things. So my dad never really talked about his experiences. And back in that day, we didn't really have anything called. I had never heard of PTSD until I was much older, but I guarantee you that my dad had those things because he would wake up with night terrors. He would wake up screaming. He had gotten malaria uh when he was over there so once a year at least he would have these massive fevers and i knew i didn't know how to phrase it i didn't know how to fully understand it but now as an adult i knew he was going through a lot and so when i talk about my father please understand that i have the highest regards for him he was an amazing provider and he only he was raised by the military he didn't have a father he was raised in wartime So those things imprinted on him and therefore transferred to me in the way he raised me because he didn't raise me necessarily as a son. He raised me as a soldier. And things like love and affection were never really communicated. And I didn't know. I know that my body, my my psyche craved those things. And God bless my mother, because if you ever meet my mother, Calvin, if she's in upstate New York, She is a ball of joy. She's four foot 11 cooking machine. And if you come to my house, you're going to feel love and warmth and you're going to eat more than you ever wanted to eat. And you're going to have to go on a diet for three weeks after. But that's how she expresses herself, her creativity. And so God bless her. She gave me balance. But as I started aging, I never could communicate with my dad. I could never put my point of view in. I was never asked for my opinion. If I wrongfully interjected my opinion, I was shut down instantly and I was made to feel less than Uh, I was made to feel stupid many times. And that started building anger in me as I got a little bit older, resentment. And. I didn't because of respect for adults, I didn't have the outlet to kind of express that I didn't have the ability to, to have that conversation with my dad. And as things started progressing and I got older, I had tremendous fear of my father. Tremendous fear of making mistakes in life. Tremendous fear of being seen as stupid. And what we really harbor in our mentality ultimately comes out in our physicality. And that fear turned to anger because I didn't know how to express it. And that anger turned to violence. So as I started getting older, that violence spilled out into the streets. And I had some pivotal things that really shaped my life and changed my life. As a freshman in high school, I was four foot 11. I was tiny. I have the first day picture of high school. My mother towers over me and she's five foot. And so I had dealt with bullying where I got bullied. Some of it was justified. I was a little kid with a big mouth and I needed to be put in place some and sometimes maybe not so much. So I started growing and I have testosterone going. And in my head, I have all this payback of people that picked on me in my head. I have all this anger of being stupid and not good. I was never good. Scholastically. I had no idea that I had dyslexia, but I just learned differently than other people. As I found out as I, as I progressed. And so I was never good at school. I was never good enough for my father. And I started getting an identity as being a tough guy and getting in fights. And through that identity, I felt love. And so now I start getting this perpetual figure eight of this horrible thing where I'm getting an identity. And what I see as love from being a tough guy and knowing in my head that what I'm doing is wrong as I'm getting in all these physical confrontations. But now I have to live up to the identity and now it keeps just snowballing itself. You have a pack of guys that are 16, 17. We have testosterone. We have a chimp brain that doesn't think past the moment. And I started getting in all these fights and I have now an identity of getting in fights. And at 18, my life changed at 18. When I was getting ready to graduate high school, we, we're out at an event called fireworks over utica where they had a firework display and we were supposed to go out and we were going to have fun and drink way too much beer and try to get some girls and i end up getting into a huge confrontation and i strike an individual at 18 years old on a split second decision literally in a in a, a split second someone is about ready to strike one of my friends I push him, my friend, out of the way, and I kick this individual in the face. And my life changes along with his in that instant. The person gets knocked out. They fall to the ground, and their head gets cracked open on the curb. And now they are laying there unconscious. And here I am at 18 years old with not a lot of options already because my grades are horrible. I'm possibly going to go to a two-year college. My friends have better choices than I do much better options for uh, extended school, for college. And I'm in this moment where I see this person knocked to the ground and I have a brief moment of exhilaration of like I've accomplished something and then it all goes south. And I feel somebody grab me from behind. And my book has much more detail about this, but basically this individual that I knocked out, his brother was there and sees his brother laying on the ground. And I thought it was him grabbing me and I turn around to confront that person. And unbeknownst to me, it was an undercover police officer that had seen the whole thing and is slapping a handcuff mm-hmm. on my wrist. And it's uh, it didn't happen well back then and police officers today don't take kindly to someone trying to strike them. And so now I get thrown into the back of a cop car I'm sitting there in my selfish mindset at that time, Calvin, thinking about what's going to happen to my life, not really concerned about the individual that's laying on the ground. And I had for a long time, for a period of years, probably from the time I was 14, 15 until that moment, had thought that I was going to go to jail or go to prison or die through violence because my life was surrounded by violence. And now, My mentality had thought that and my physicality was bringing it all to fruition. It was bringing all to light. My, my, my thoughts were becoming my actions and my actions were bringing my reality Mm. in front of me. And so I'm sitting there watching this person unconscious to see there's a pool of blood on the ground. I'm, I'm praying for probably the first time in a long time. And, i watch watched the police officers on the scene, try to revive them unsuccessfully. And then the fire department gets called out and they're working on him and they're unsuccessful. And then the ambulance comes. I get put into what is, for lack of a better term, it was called the paddy wagon. It's basically a police van. And I get handcuffed and put into that police van and I can see out the side of the van and I'm watching this whole thing transpire a huge mob around everybody wants to see what's going on and they end up arresting and putting the brother the older brother of the person I struck in the van with me because he freaked out and was uh, rightfully so going crazy he had a confrontation with the cops so here I am in the back of a police van at 18 with the brother of a person I may have just killed who now wants to kill me and who can blame him. And just seeing my future crumble before me, seeing everything that any aspiration that I was even too embarrassed to verbalize at that point crumble before me. And it ends up being one of the worst moments of my life, but also one of the absolute best moments of my life. Now I wish I could take back what happened, but I can't, but it helped craft my life going forward. For me, it ended up being one of the bottoms of my pit. And I'm not saying your listeners need to have that bottom. I believe we can change like that if we want to. But for me, I needed to hit a bottom before I was like, I need to change my geography. I need to change my peer group. I need to change my life. And at that moment, I didn't know exactly what the change was going to be. But I knew it wasn't. It couldn't be on the path that I was on. And so uh, it's tough. I still horrible, a lot of shame from what happened, right? And I feel horrible because my life is about helping individuals now. And I never want to harm individuals. But like I said, I can't take those moments back. Mm. And I can only move forward with what I've lived through and only move forward and try to 10X good over things that I did that weren't good. So I work my way through the court system. Uh, and thankfully, by the grace of God, that individual lives. Thankfully, by the grace of God, I'm able to make it through the court system and I'm able to start changing the trajectory of my life. I start isolating myself. I'm not blaming my friends, my friends. I wasn't strong enough as an individual at that point in my life to handle the dynamic of my friendships without if somebody gave me a suggestion, I would never think twice about it, right? So I'm not blaming them, but because I wasn't strong enough to handle the dynamics and make right decisions, I knew I had to move. And so I wish I could tell you that that was the last straw. It was close to the last straw. There were some other things that happened. As I make my way through college, I get into college. For the first time, I start getting good grades. I start immersing myself and isolating myself in my school. I start isolating myself in work. I start isolating myself in, into my physicality the gym. And I start hiding away in those areas. And I do my best to stay out of trouble. I was definitely not an angel. There was one more incident that happened that was the final, final straw for me where we got into another fight and not far from the original fight. And somebody that was known for carrying a weapon, a gun, after the fight, out loud, everybody declared that he was going to kill me. And I, I basically went into hiding for a couple week period. I had $500 to my name and I purchased an airline ticket and I made a call to a friend that lived in California. God bless his soul, his name's Daryl Hagan. And when I didn't have many options, he picked up the phone and he said, you know what? I don't have a place for you to stay, but you can sleep on my floor. And he gave me the opening to come and stay at his uncle's house. And his uncle's name was Jimmy Train, and he changed my life. And man, I mean, there's so much in there that I didn't cover, but at 20 and a half years old, I packed my bags, I had $500, bought a ticket. And my parents took me to the airport, not even knowing what was going on. They knew that I was angry all the time. They knew that I wanted to change my life, but didn't know the insight. My dad did because we went to court together and everything and hid it from my mom. Uh, And for the first time, my parents took me to the airport and that was the first time I'd ever heard my dad said, son, I love you at the airport. wow! Man. And he gave me a hug. Wow. And I got on a plane to change my life. And I felt a bag of bricks drop off of me as I left my neighborhood, as I went to try for a new future of not taking from society, not being the problem, but being part of the solution of helping people. And I can tell you it was a pivotal thing where I got into training and I went into it thinking I was going to help people. But in reality, brother, what happened was they helped me as I saw them. And i focused my energies on helping people on their journey of health, of wellness, my life changed. And I started healing from the inside out, not having to have this persona of being a tough guy, Letting some of the baggage go, and really trying to craft what was inside of me and let it come out without embarrassment. Wow, dude, that's a lot. I know, a lot. yeah, that is a lot. Sorry, no, no, that.
0: that I mean, hey, listen, uh, just to remind folks, "Confessions of a Hollywood Trainer." This, this, that's some of that stuff is in there. Um, wow. So, uh You know, the chemistry with us and and the the journey stuff, uh, um, I I so feel and identify. Um, It's funny, the whole father thing, uh, I had that thing, too, and and I wrote about it, the father thing. Um, uh, Anyway, so uh, at some point, you arrive in Austin, Texas. And you, you're, you now have, you've been for like 30 years a, a fitness trainer, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, and along the way uh, from, you know, it, sometimes I think, because I've lived so much of this myself, you know, these low points, uh, I call them nadirs. The, the nadir of life is the lowest point of life uh, i've had a couple of those myself uh uh but that makes you just better because you know where you were and you know what you've done and you're grateful because you've had the opportunity to regenerate uh uh to to start a home new life to recognize about helping people and and, and i said it it actually uh, it comes from, I think the Quran uh, and maybe the Bible, you know, he or she who helps, uh, he or she who saves a life, saves the world. You're you're saving the world in what you do. Yeah. So, um, you've worked with some of the huge names, uh, uh, in entertainment music. Uh, um, it's been a great experience. Uh, how does that come about, and and um, and we can tie in Sebastian Maniscalco because sure. uh, you you you're on the road with him. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know. yeah. So there's
1: a long time from where I I started being a, tr- a trainer, and I had aspirations of doing this, uh, and I think it's important because maybe there's a young gentleman or lady out there that is like, man, this is they're so far away from where I think I want to be, or I'm so far away from where my goal is. And so I think through consistency, day in and day out, hard work, there's no magic wand, right? I didn't have a magic wand. And Lord knows, for the first time in my life, I felt like it was okay to fail, even though I didn't know it on a conscious level. And I want people to understand it's important to fail. It's okay. There's no failure. You're just getting feedback, right, of which way you won't need to re-navigate this thing. You're getting in data and intel. And we're crafting it so if you're out there and you feel like hey i've failed or i failed in the past we're not defined by one moment in our life sometimes we can allow one major moment to define us but you're not that moment you're you right now and you're moving forward and you're in the present it's huge so i went out i was i moved to california in 1993 i think it was and there was only one test at the time for training it was a, this obscure thing, right? So I said, I want to be a trainer. I found the one test. And in the, while I was studying for the test, I was working landscaping. I was working as a bouncer at night at a nightclub, which is crazy because there's more violence in my life. But I don't know how I navigated those waters. But I'm glad I did because I met my wife through that whole process. And so I'm studying and I'm working two jobs and studying and, and I probably passed the first test I'd ever passed in a long time. And it was my trainer test. And here I am at 21 years old. Wow. I have this certificate in hand, a whole lot of ambition and not really a ton of direction. I know I want to do this, but I'm like, how do I do this? So I made flyers up and I paid some kids and friends in the neighborhood to pass out flyers. Now, Kelvin, I was embarrassed that I was 21 Because back in the day, you and I will remember this. Kids today will remember this. There was no cell phone. We had an answering machine. And so on my answering machine, I talked in a deeper voice because I didn't want anybody to know I was 21 if they called on my flyer. And so I sent flyers out. And that day, that very day, people started calling me for training. And I didn't even have the answers to the questions they were asking, like, how much do you charge? Where are you going to train? And here I am talking like, I'm 50. Yes, how can I help you? And they, but I was able to navigate my way through that. And I start, I got my first client and I was making my friend. I charged $12 an hour and I couldn't have been happier. Back in New York before I left, I was working a job as loss prevention, catching shoplifters. I had a gun pulled on me. I had to choke someone unconscious and intimate apparels. I had a knife pulled on me, and I was getting seven twenty-five dollars an hour. So I had hit the holy grail, $12 an hour, and I don't have to choke anybody, and no one's going to try to stab me? This is the promised land. <laughs> so I started with that one person, and God bless her. She was a 19-year-old girl that was going through her own journey, and we made incredible improvements and changed her life and the ways that she changed her physicality and her mind. And through that, it just grew. I ended up getting a second client. I ended up increasing my rates as I got busier. And before you know it, within a three-month period, I was no longer doing landscaping. I was no longer bouncing. I was working full-time, immersed in people's lives, being their coach, and healing my body as their body was transforming. And I had a new identity. It didn't have to be a tough guy. It was someone that was known for helping people who got the phone call when people needed a solution to their particular challenge. And a lot of those challenges were, hey, I got to get ready for my son's wedding. One of my first challenges was an 80-year-old Jewish lady, Ruth Linker, who I loved to death. And she just wanted to be able to walk the aisle down for her son's wedding. And she wanted the mobility. And for me as a 20 year old kid to have the honor number one, to help someone like that, it just, it brightened my day and my soul. And through years of doing that, it didn't happen overnight, but I started, I moved, ended up moving to Los Angeles and I started getting the attention of people in the entertainment industry. And it is like, look, if you live on the Jersey shore, and you can do something, build beach houses, and you do an amazing job, and you take care of the people in front of you, word gets out. So I just happened to be in the area that was the entertainment area, and once you start taking care of one person, word gets out. So it was nothing more than that. It was nothing more than someone else can do if they focused on that and they were there. Um, And then I, I actually met Sebastian, you bring up Sebastian, I had a little hand in doing some acting myself and we were both on days of our lives. And I write it in my book. I had an under five lines. I I tried out acting and I got a role on, on days of our lives and I could only speak five lines or less. And Sebastian was an extra. He couldn't say anything. And we joke because it was the only time you can handcuff the two of us, as you can see, because I never stopped talking and then not talking. And that's where I met him and we became dear friends. And this is when he was, I mean, he was an extra. He was he was grinding every day. He was struggling. He had put all his chips in one basket. And when he started becoming successful, he reached out to me and said, could you be my trainer? Because he saw the value in being healthy when your appearance is your business card. And we became such dear friends about after five years after that. I introduced him to his wife who was another one of my clients. And so then when he goes really big time, he gives me a call at a crazy point in my life where I needed something like this. And he goes, my man, I would love for you to go on tour with me and be my right-hand man and, you know, enjoy this ride with me. And so it allotted me a lot of leeway and leverage and, uh, We traveled for two years together. I was doing 120, 130 flights a year. It allowed me to move, and we're jumping all over the board, but I I was able to move out of Los Angeles, which I had a desire to do that, move to Austin, Texas, and just hop on a plane and go wherever he's going. Wow. Calvin, you better get some words in edgewise. Otherwise, man, I'm never going to shut up. I'm sorry. Uh,
0: uh, And, you know, uh, and and I pointed out to you before we went on air that, uh, I, if I ever came back for a second trip around, uh, I come back as a comedian. I, I, I think comedians. So I, I have that vinyl album of Lenny Bruce behind me, mm-hmm. uh, and and he's kind of like the Godfather of modern day comedians. You know, uh, Sebastian, uh, of course, but you know, even going way back to you know Richard Pryor and, and George Carlin, and I just. Discovered Lenny Bruce in, in, in the seventies, and and eventually became friends with his daughter, which was such a f- full circle of life. But the whole comedian thing, I'm I'm so enamored. Uh, I I just love comedians, and and I've been listening to Sebastian, who's who's just simply amazing, so unique, so unique. Uh, maybe he'll see this show. That'd be great. I will hey, definitely tell him. Tell him come. <laughs> I'm I'm an old. Comedian guy. So um, back to some serious stuff. Uh, everything's going great for you. But then in 2021, you come down with Guillain-Barre syndrome, uh, GBS. And you're completely yeah. paralyzed except your eyeballs, correct? Yeah.
1: It changed my life. So here I am. My life is defined by my physicality. Whether it's my physicality or helping people increase their physicality. And thank God along the way, I don't want people to think it was all sunshine and roses because there's, you know, we all have our hiccups in life and I'm definitely not perfect. I don't ever claim to be right, but I'm always learning and I'm just trying to be better than I was the day before. I'm trying to be a better individual. I'm trying to learn more, listen more, even though it doesn't seem like I listen at all as I'm talking over and over in this podcast, but it takes me to a place in 2021 where I come down with GBS. I've heard it called by my doctors, Guillain-Barre syndrome or Julian Barr syndrome. And I had no idea of any of this. I had, I'd never heard about it before. If I did, it never left an imprint on my mind. But in 2021, to start off, I get COVID. It's a crazy time in our world, right? People had COVID, there was quarantining, all this stuff. So I end up getting COVID. In 2021, my kids got it. I either got it from my kids or from teaching kids jujitsu, where I'm around 20, 30 kids at a time. And I've been called, there's an Italian term called testadura, which means hard head. And I've been accused of that rightfully so many times. So I got diagnosed with COVID. And it's very tough for me to sit down and, and quarantine and isolate. But I knew I had to do it. So the first day I have it, I get on the assault bike for an hour. I don't take any medication. I'm doing it. I'm wearing my body down. I'm going to exercise my way through this. And I start breaking my system down. And I have much worse symptoms than the rest of my family for COVID. I get dehydrated. I'm creating projects around the house to do mason work and ridiculous stuff that i shouldn't even have my hands in and covid's a lot worse for me than it should be and the reason i bring this up is because the physicians don't know exactly where i got Guillain-Barre syndrome from they have some some hypothesis so they said i either got it sparked by covid or another thing that happened to me right about that time is i had a bacterial infection From a toenail cut I had in jujitsu where I cut my my shin and I ended up getting cellulitis right around the same time. That is also another way you can get it. The third way you can get it is a vaccine can create this and spark it. Uh So I go through COVID and then the next thing you know, my hands start going numb. And I don't verbalize this to anybody. Once again, the male ego, my ego, maybe not so much all men, I don't want to put that on all men. And I don't say anything. And I had gone through COVID, I'm back to work, and I'm going to work and my hands are numb. Then it starts going to my feet, and my feet, I can't feel my toes, I can't feel my feet. And here I am every day going 10 to 12 hours of work. It gets so bad, I get to a point where at nighttime at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, my feet are aching so much that I have to take ice baths to relieve the pain. So I ha- get up in the middle of night, I get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, I take an ice bath, and then I go back to sleep, and then I get up at 6 o'clock or 5 o'clock for work, whatever time. So after about a week of this, I tell my wife, I said, listen, I don't want to scare you. But I can't feel my feet for the last week. I can't feel my hands. And as of the last couple of days, my urinary stream has disappeared. I can hardly pee. And my vision is blurry. I can't see great. So I tell her, I said, when I get home from work tonight, we're going to go to maybe see a doctor. And God bless my wife. She balances me out. She is the yin to my yang. She goes, Calvin, my wife Cheyenne goes, no, you're not going to work. We're going to go to urgent care and get checked out. And if you don't go to urgent care, you're going to go to the emergency room because she's going to put me in the emergency room, right? Because she's going to kick my ass. So we go to urgent care. And I can best, the way I feel like I can best describe this is I feel like a double A battery that is just getting drained. I'm starting to now have trouble walking as we get to urgent care. I'm having trouble shaking someone's hand. They run some basic tests on me, draw some blood. I'm not, I don't, I'm not squeamish. I don't faint normally, but I faint in there when they draw blood. I go unconscious. They start doing some other things. I've lost now my reflexes in my knees when they give you the reflex and they put the little hammer to your knee. I don't feel anything. So the physician, God bless him, he's very smart. He goes, listen, I don't want to scare you but we think you might have an autoimmune disorder, either MS, multiple sclerosis, or GBS. We don't have the ability to test you here. I would like for you to go to the local hospital, which is right down the street. They have an emergency room. We're gonna call ahead. We want you to go there. And then what they're gonna need to do is take a spinal tap and draw the fluid out of your spine to test for a protein and see if you do have MS, or you have GBS. So we go down, I'm getting weaker and weaker. They have to wheelchair me now. There's mm-hmm. a guy that was standing in the morning having trouble peeing, and now I'm in a wheelchair. They wheelchair me in to the ER. And they take me back and they do a spinal tap on me and they draw the fluid from my spine. And when we get back from the test, they tell me it is gonna be about an hour for you to get the results, for us to get the results of this. I I lived right down the street from the hospital. They said to me, you have the choice. You can go home if you feel more comfortable. And I don't feel that comfortable in hospitals. My dad died of cancer. I spent a month in the hospital with him sleeping there while he was going through that. It's not a great place for me on a lot of levels. So I decided to go home and the doctor gives me a directive. He says, if you start losing feeling, Above your knees, you need to come back in here immediately because it is a great indicator that you have GBS. And what it does is it ascends up the body and you'll ultimately lose function of your lungs and your heart and your whole body will shut down. So I go home, I take a 20-minute nap. When I wake up, I can't fully feel from my hips down. It's, It's happening that fast. My wife rushes me back to the hospital. In my mind, I don't know what GBS is, but I know I got it. I know inherently in my soul that I have it. So they take me in, they put me in a wheelchair, the tests come back. It's not definitive, but it's like 90% chance I have GBS. They wheel me up to the ICU. And Calvin, I make think I make a definitive decision as I'm getting wheeled through the ICU, that I'm never going to complain and I'm never going to go woe is me because I have, I'm seeing in other people's rooms, I'm seeing people on ventilators, I'm seeing people dying of different things. And I said, these people have it worse than I do, okay? I may have this thing that they say, but I can still think, I can still use my mind Even though my body is dwindling down in function, I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know that I'm never going to complain. I'm never going to give up and I'm going to inherently find a way out of here using my mentality. So they wheel me into isolation in the ICU and they put me in isolation. And a lot of things happen. I'm in the ICU and I'm getting weaker and weaker to the point where, as you had said I can only start turning my eyeballs at one point. The doctor enters the room, and I go from being able to turn my neck to being able to just move my eyes. I can't shake hands anymore. And they start administering different medication. I don't wanna take away from Western medicine. I believe in it, it has its place. I'm grateful for my doctors, my nurses, everybody that was there. And they start administering IVIG. It's immunoglobin. It's basically my own antibodies are eating my nerve endings, and they're trying to make my nerve, my antibodies stop that. So they give me this thing called immunoglobulin. But in addition to all the things they're doing, I'm trying to take as much action as possible. But I don't have physical action in them. so I start surrounding my mind and my mentality with positive vibrations. And I start playing Bob Marley and Ziggy Marley in the room. So now all I hear is those positive vibrations, which touch my soul and mean a lot to me. Ziggy's a dear friend of mine and he's influenced my life so positively through just his love and caring. And now I take out the sounds of the monitors. I take out the sounds of me being wired to everything in the constant beep. I take all those sounds out. And now I have something that I can relate to positively. my, My wife makes a definitive decision to, I can no longer swallow. So I have to have only pureed foods. And my wife's so smart. She's like, we need to nourish you on a cellular level. And she goes home and purees organic foods for me. So I can have that nourishment on a cellular level. Now, as I said, I love doctors. I'm not crazy about hospitals. And I feel like, I would love to get this message out there that our first responders, whether they're doctors, nurses, firemen, we need to have these people as nourished as possible on so many levels because when we are at our time of most need, we call upon them to help us, to save us. They're human beings just like we are, just trying to do their best. And I can tell you, I want to find someone that will help me make a shift in the ideology of the hospital system. Because if you go to the break room, if you go to the cafeteria, we have French fries. We got fried chicken fingers. We got potato chips and Snickers bars. I'm fine if you want to have that, but I would love some alternative things for people that want to be healthy and make healthy choices. And so I would love for them to offer that to physicians, to nurses, to patients. There was no way, dude, I'm going to eat pureed chicken fingers and think I'm going to get better through my food, right? It's not that moment in my life. So I have my positive music vibrations, brother. I have my wife nourishing me. And then in my mind, constantly, I am constantly giving gratitude for what I do have, not focusing on what I don't have. Because I can still think, and I'm sure there are people that can't. I can still move my eyes, and I'm sure there are people that can't. And I start praying, and I start demanding. Actually, I first started asking politely for my body to stop attacking my nerve endings. And it may sound crazy to other people. I don't care. But it kept my mind occupied. And then I start asking it a little bit more firmly until I'm demanding that my body stops attacking itself. And that combined with Western medicine combined with IVIG combined with the care of my nurses combined with the knowledge of my doctors combined with positive vibrations and organic food got me out of the hospital in 10 days in a wheelchair.
0: Wow. go brother. You know, uh, you, you said, uh, in in my reading about you, the mind is the strongest thing we have. And you certainly demonstrated that. Um, You certainly have. And and again, the bonding, because I do my communication. I I told you last week, you know, my spirituality, uh, um, you know, I was walking with a cane some years ago. uh, And and I had my strong beliefs and, and I was in the Middle East and did some, stuff and, and the spirituality and, and the connectivity and uh I couldn't walk and and then something happened spiritually and I threw away the cane right on the spot um mm-hmm. so sort the of stuff works is the spirit the mind and and um yeah I I could sit and listen to you uh uh, uh all day and all night and all day and all night because uh, you're so real. And and I have little glimpses of, of you in my life. Um, um just to remind everybody, uh Confessions of a Hollywood trainer, you, you talk about so much of this stuff. Um it, it's on Amazon and the link will be all over my my promo. Uh you do something, uh just quickly, uh something called Wim Wim Hof breathing. You were talking about that last week to me. What is that? Um trying yeah. out round. Uh, so I don't know
1: how many people are still inventing the wheel, right? We we take great ideas from other people and hopefully borrow them and if they have great ideas and they're great people they want you to borrow them. So one of the things I borrow from Wim Hof and you can get it on YouTube is free. It's just Every day I want to wake up because the next, it's not guaranteed. We wake up and that day is not guaranteed. So I want to wake up and be grateful for everything I have, not focus on what I don't have. And I'm about giving what I have inside of me on every level and helping people. So my day may be filled with seeing 10, 12 people, but I have to nourish myself first. So every day that I wake up, I do breathing, Wim Hof breathing. It's 12 minutes, a lot of for myself. I and your listeners should really plug into this and try it it just centers me before my cell phone before my cell phone calls me to do this email or that text or I'm needed here or there I take care of myself first and that deep breathing really centers me and then for me you don't have to do this but I infuse that with my gratitudes while I'm breathing I'm grateful for this moment right now with you Calvin I'm grateful for my parents. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for people that have long left this life and are in the spirit world, but have influenced me in some way. And I want to honor them. And I want to do the best that I can. And I have a little prayer I devised. And it basically is about, listen, man, I want to bring out the greatness in me so I can bring out the greatness in everybody else and let them know that we all have greatness inside of us. And sometimes people need to see that for an inspiration. So I want to be the best that I can be so other people can bring out their greatness and offer it to the world, to offer it to the world. So I start with Wim Hof every day. It's number one that I do. And even before that, I should say it's number two, because the first thing I do is drink two glasses of water. And then I do my meditation and gratitudes. And then my next layer of that is I do something that's physically challenging. Probably something that gets me out of my comfort zone. I hate swimming. I swim like a rock. I, I stink at it. But on occasion, I like to go to the pool and go into that realm so I'm not always comfortable. And I know that if I can have that little win in that challenge that day before the sun is even up, then bigger challenges will not seem so so daunting. right? So that's Wim Hof. I really recommend people try it. Just try it. Give yourself the time.
0: Um, Just want to go off topic. Uh, uh, This requires a one word answer. I didn't, I didn't, I like this question. Uh, I borrowed it from a a great journalist uh, and I use it. uh, And you can answer it one word, two words. You don't have to answer it. All right, here it goes. Uh, Excluding family or friends, somebody living and dead you'd like to spend a day with. My father. There you go. Boom. Great. Great. Great He's answer. Right By the way, great answer. Great answer. Um, uh, you've been doing this for thirty years. You're amazingly successful. In working with Sebastian, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We discussed this, and 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 it was your energy that got to me and made me think about this. I, I don't, I don't know why. Because there's a picture uh, of Babe Ruth. Over there, right near Lenny Bruce. Uh, so here's the, uh, and you, uh, you liked uh, when I mentioned this to you. Uh, so, uh, and I just uh, in between our, our our sessions, I had watched the biography of, of Babe Ruth, uh, and I was trying to process Babe Ruth. Then, and and to me, he was not a, a picture of physical. He wasn't a physical specimen. So. Uh uh if Babe Ruth, here's the question, John. If Babe Ruth were alive today, uh, what would your training do for him? And uh would it have helped him achieve so much more than he did? Hmm. You made me really think, I've never heard of a question like this, and I
1: love it. Yeah, because I it do. comes from that field it makes me access a different part of my brain. And in thinking of this, first off we're talking about a true icon, right? Whether you follow baseball or not, this is someone that transcends baseball, right? It's gone into so many other realms. And I think it would be too egotistical of me. And it would just be conjecture to say I can make Babe Ruth any better. This is someone that is high regard in my my mind, right? My my nine-year-old son Rocco is a huge baseball fan. And like Babe Ruth means it's so wild, right? He means so much to you. You're a little bit of a different generation than I am. It means so much to me and my son's nine years old. So it's gone through all that. Who can say they've touched that many people, right? That many through a sport. So this is just conjecture. And it's, it would be egotistical for me to say, I can make him any better. All I can say is what I would do. And we would look at how the data came out on the other side. Maybe he's perfect just the way he is. Maybe he was made by the creator to be that way and to do what he did exactly that way because it looked like it turned out pretty damn well for him, right? And a lot of people don't know he started off as a pitcher and he's most known for being a batter. So a couple of things I would do, and I cannot say with any consciousness that it would make him any better or not, but I would go, babe, maybe we can cut the, the, the alcohol down to just a weekend. Maybe no drinking before the game, right? And if you look at his body type, right, he's not the prototype of an athlete. But Jesus, he looks – I mean, guys are 6'9", 270 today, and they play baseball. And he was not that. So I would just be honored to be in his presence. I would love to meet with him and just kind of pick his brain and see what I can learn from him as opposed to him learning a lot from me. Um, and I would man, I don't know, man. I feel like it would be too egotistical for me to say I can make him any better because it's, it's, you're talking of an icon, right? Um, so there's some things I would, you know, try, but I, I don't even feel comfortable saying them. I don't feel comfortable saying
0: them. Okay. that's fine. Does that make sense? It's perfectly valid, it's absolutely fine. Uh, it's, it is a great question. I'm, I'm not. Pat, I'm not patting myself on on, on the shoulder, but uh, it, it is because I I and I, I listen. I've been watching newsreels of Babe Ruth for a million years, and and I'm saying to myself, uh, you know, uh, if he went through the training that they do today, my God, what what could he have accomplished? And same thing with Mickey Mantle. Uh, uh, you know, I was never a Yankee fan; I was a Dodger fan because you know they uh, integrated baseball, and I like that uh uh but my my goodness uh i'm watching the stuff about mickey mantle he probably had the most perfect body uh and and he always said he, in his family everybody died like at 40 or 50 mm-hmm. and and that was his mindset so he lived his life not in a healthy way that you are, are all about lived right. in a very unhealthy way because he knew he wasn't going to live And then finally, when he was starting to live, he he said something very famous. If I would have known I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. Um, Yeah. Uh, um, But um, so which just leads me to just a quick because part of what you do is nutrition. And and I'm uh, I'm not an expert. I do my own little nutritional stuff. I mentioned to you I haven't had red meat since 1975. And I'm walking around with no coronary artery plaque. And there's no medical person uh, on earth that can tell me yes or no. You did it work? Did it not? Who, why, where, when? 20% of me is genetic.
1: Mm-hmm. And the
0: other 80% is what you do. Mm-hmm. Lifestyle, nutrition, exercise. It's what you do. And and I did little tidbits here and there. Uh, any comments on nutrition? And uh, are you a fan uh, of uh, intermittent fasting great great question so
1: you know how when i think this question transcends also nutrition we're bio individuals and so i don't believe there's any one cookie cutter thing that works for everybody right somebody might try wim hof and go it doesn't work for me that's fine you gave it a try it doesn't work so i don't ever prescribe any one nutritional formula for everybody because on an on extreme level of the spectrum i can eat pecans or walnuts and then you give them to somebody else and they can go into anaphylactic shock. so how is it good to say nuts are good for everybody they're not right also i've been i've tried vegan i've tried and it didn't necessarily work for me i gave it three months and my body didn't react well so i didn't i for me to swim upstream that way is going against what my my biofeedback is doing and then for you if i said you're supposed to eat red meat right? You're supposed, well, you've proven that your body works great the way that it is, and you're nourishing that way. So nutritionally, what I do with people, number one, is I'm a big believer in data and science. I take all these markers at the start, what we do in body scans or DEXA scans, like what's your body fat? What's your metabolism? How much muscle mass do you have? How much water are you retaining? And then I know in science where you are, On a physical level, then we look at functional screening. How does your body move? Does it functionally move well? Do you have good movement patterns? Wow. All this stuff. And then we have in detail in black and white where you are, not where I think you are, not where I guess you are, but where you are in science. And then we go, okay, here's where you are. Here's where you want to be. And now I can draw a map scientifically on how to get there when we look at nutrition, the first things I do is there's certain things that I feel comfortable eliminating from people's processed foods or, you know, like refined sugars, things that are, you can't pronounce like yellow five. And so we take all the stuff that is as heavily processed out and then try to nourish your body with different foods. But I don't like to throw a ton of things at the board at one time, because if one thing works or doesn't work, we don't know what it is. So let's add an element in, see how your body, your feedback is. And then we go, great, that right there for you is a keeper. Let's keep that. You feel energy because you should get energy from your food source. It shouldn't deplete your energy. It should fill you with energy, right? So sometimes after an example is Thanksgiving dinner, we have that. We feel like a slug, right? We've eaten too much. Well, we didn't get energy from that food. We probably overate and now... It's zapping or our digestive system, is zapping us of energy to process it. So I like to add one element at a time and we go, okay, keep it or don't. Let's add another element until we find the blueprint for you as an individual that is going to make you thrive optimally because we're such individuals. And so it's a process and we tailor it. And the person that's the ultimate decider is the individual going through it and has their biofeedback. We look at nutrition, we look at movement patterns, we look at your sleep. These things all are what make you up and make you special, Calvin. This is what makes you Calvin and is either working or not working and we need to tweak in some manner to get you to be optimal. Brilliant. That's what I do with nutrition.
0: Brilliant.
1: Intermittent fasting, does it work or not? I believe it has a place. Okay. For me, I tried it. I get up at four o'clock in the morning and I work out myself. And then I have clients usually from 6 a.m. for six or seven hours straight before I get my next break. So I found, because I have to give so much energy out, whether I'm doing jujitsu, boxing, working with someone, I have to be mentally focused there and present for that individual that if I'm worried, if I'm hungry, it didn't necessarily work for me. So I had to modify it a little bit to work and tailor for me. So I think that it can work in traditional sense for some people. And if you need to tailor it, I do think there is a benefit of giving your digestive system a break and maybe cutting off food at a certain hour so you can sleep better. So you're not digesting food. So once again, biofeedback, what is your body telling you?
0: Uh, I, um, funny. I wish I would have known you while back, uh, <laughs> that's it, just the way it is but no um i i i like it, like most of the world i had gained a, a lot of weight during covid we all did the whole world did and and i um I mean I was, i've been 350 pounds i'll tell you about that you know years ago but uh but uh i you know i and so i said to myself i, I gotta do something uh and and i put myself in my own little regimen uh in intermittent fasting, I think I mentioned this to you. I I get I get up in the morning. I have a half a yogurt, um, non-fat yogurt, and 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 throwing some some blueberries and stuff, you know, for, for the antioxidant stuff. Uh, and then maybe a slice of cheese, a little provolone. By the way, I I meant to ask you. Uh, I'm I'm jumping around. I meant yeah, to. Yeah, no ask, worries. In in your mom's house, is it gravy or is it sauce? It's sauce. Just, just asking <laughs> No, I know and you're from Jersey because I know
1: my uh, mutual friend calls it gravy and I, it's a Jersey thing I think because other people I know from Jersey call it gravy
0: yeah I, uh, uh, I, I, I have no, no which do- is yours come on man what what do you call it? well i i I I, I, I don't know I, I I go with you know if I'm with a gang of if I'm with a gang of people and and they're calling it gravy, it's gravy there you go. And I you know, I go, I blow with the wind. There you go. Just
1: put some on my plate, whatever you call it.
0: You, that red stuff, put it on my plate. You bet. And you know, I'm a big grappa guy, uh, not necessarily, I think I mentioned that to you, big Noki guy, uh, because I, I had grappa with the, the wealthiest Italian in the world. Uh, really? Yeah, I, Del Vecchio. I worked for him for 25 years. Oh, yeah. I went to visit in the Dolomites and he they took us around here. You have the richest Italian in the world, maybe second richest. I think Berlusconi was richest, but, um, uh, here we are in, 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 in these amazing little towns. There was one town in in right near the, right near, uh, the border in North East Italy. And the town was Mel, uh, uh, and, and, and and here's, you know, this Italian legend and he takes us all out to dinner and, you know, we ate and we drank and, 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 in the grappa and, and, here I am with a you know a billionaire and, and I'm tasting this grappa, which really uh is, is better served if you have to remove paint from a wall you use grappa that's my interpretation. use grappa, yeah. but I, I had to pretend I liked it, but uh uh and I say I like it, but no, I don't but anyway, uh or notwithstanding all of that, uh oh so the last serious question. To ask you, and it's off topic, but it's serious. Uh, your your take on the world that we live in, and and climate change. You you've endured some rough stuff in Texas. Sure. Uh, so
1: man, this may go in some different directions that maybe is not the norm. I am I absolutely love the outdoors. In that I didn't cover in the story of my youth. I worked on a, a a horse farm, and I worked in baled hay, and I worked in a horse barn and i've always been connected to the earth it's my sanctuary some people feel more comfortable in the city i feel more energy from nature uh i'm a huge fisherman i'm a huge hunter and i know that we have to keep this resource going in order for it to be passed down generation to generation now the the meat that i eat is probably i just came from alaska i caught we caught 200 pounds of salmon and halibut and I go, I go hunting and I harvest and process my own food. I process my own meat. I'm not expecting everybody to do that. It's not easy, but I use one arrow or one bullet and kill one animal. I give thanks. I process it. I use even have used the fur from the deer to make flies to go fishing. So I give respect. I understand nature. I understand the cycle and dynamic, and nothing lives forever. And sometimes something has to die in order for other things to live. So I think we need to really respect mother nature. We need to pollute as little as possible. We need to be smart about that. Um, we, we are only given one planet and I don't know exactly, I don't have the science, the knowledge or anything behind it, but it does seem our planet is getting hotter. It's hot as Hades right now in, in Texas. And so we need to do all that we can to take care of that. Um, And I know it can seem daunting because you have other countries that may not follow what we do as individuals, but we can hopefully create momentum by being an example and doing all that you can. I can't control what other people do, but I know I do all I can because I believe that it's so important. It's something we should pass down to our next generations and be smart about it, right? That's my thoughts on it. I, uh, Man, I try to do all I can.
0: It's a great thought. You know, it's funny, you, um your your philosophy is very much like a Native American. They they would only kill whatever they needed to, to live. Uh yeah. and, and they 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 were the ultimate conservationists uh and still are. Uh uh, it's funny. You 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 talked about your you processed your own um you know, they're growing uh and it's gonna come to market in four or five years. They're actually growing. I don't know if you heard this. John, but they're they're growing uh chicken meat in the test tube. Did you hear that? I did. Yeah. I mean, uh, and and I, I I'm a flexitarian, so I, I don't eat red meat, but I, I do eat chicken and turkey and fish. Uh um sounds like I'm, it's a religious thing. No, it's just I'm a flexitarian. I don't eat anything with four legs. But uh I, 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 I'm trying to process how how can you eat something coming from a test tube but then again it's great you don't have to worry about killing animals anymore i don't know anyway i I will not eat the chicken out of a test tube i'm i'm i know (laughs) hey and i'm I'm that way too i'm I'm an old-fashioned guy you know i came out of the 60s and i don't know (laughs) if i could do that Uh, and as liberal as i am last funny cute question to end this this amazing uh time we spent together uh i always like to ask this too Cause uh, favorite movies and actors.
1: Yeah, my favorite movie probably of all time. I have a very eclectic thing, but Life is Beautiful is one that with Roberto Benigni that had a huge impact on me. I love the the humor in it. I love the the theme. I love the seriousness of it. Unbelievable. Um, there's a movie called and it's it's very prominent in my book called The Last Dragon. It's not Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee. It's The Last Dragon with Bruce Lee Roy. And I watched that movie a hundred times as a kid and really got me into martial arts. And it, if you want to hear something funny, that movie takes place and How My Wife Met Me. So uh, if you read my book, you'll see or hear the book. I do a scene with a guy named Shownuff in there and it has it. Uh, favorite actors, I would say very... Much from my Italian roots, I w- I'm a huge De Niro and Pacino fan. Uh, hard to go wrong there. Will Ferrell makes me laugh like crazy. Um, yeah, those are those are some of my favorites.
0: Mine too, by the way. Uh, mine too. De Niro, Pacino. Um, you know, I could see him coming out and yelling, Attica, Attica. Um, you go way back, brother, yes. Yeah, I go way. Listen, I, I do- love it. I do go way back. Uh, yeah, and, and one of my favorites. Uh, well, my favorite is is Casablanca, mm-hmm. because that made me write my first novel after I watched. Really? It. Yeah, I don't know if I ever mentioned that to you. Uh, I watched Casablanca 18 years ago for the fiftieth time.
1: Uh-huh. For the fiftieth
0: time, and, and 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 you know, Bogart shoots Major Strasser, the, the bad guy, and. And and then Claude Rains picks up a bottle of Vichy water, which kind of looks like this. It's, it's French mineral water. It's 1942. It's like Perrier. And he, and and it was a bad connotation. Vichy meant you're conspiring with the Germans. Throws it in the garbage. And a second, it hit the garbage. I grabbed my head. My God. And and my uh, my wife said, "Are you all right?" I said, "Yeah. There's a novel in my head." And and I uh and and that changed my whole life around. That's this is a long long. It's in here. The whole read it how I did that. Uh yeah, the whole. But uh, I I came down here and I outlined it and three and a half years to write, a year and a half to edit, and five years I wrote Vichy Water and I was still working for Exotic at the time, and I left and retired, and then decided after I published that. Become a journalist and, and a novel, another novelist, and and a broadcaster, and then eventually a teacher at Rutgers, and now a podcaster talking to you. Uh, but it was all because I watched Casablanca. That inspiration, wow! And not now, maybe uh, sometime off uh, when we, we chat again. But uh, I eventually found out who put that novel into my head. It was somebody up there not important. Anyway, John, this, this was great. Oh, thank you. Uh, I, I, uh, and I'm blessed that the universe kind of brought us together. It's great stuff. Uh, and, and I'm officially welcoming you to come back anytime, anyplace, anywhere we can panel anything. Uh, I'm always here. I'm always around and, and this should be continued.
1: Grazie. I, I agree. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I so appreciate it. And once again, Without a platform, the stories die in someone's head. So I appreciate you
0: giving me that opportunity. It's wow, my you. And in the words of Clint Eastwood uh, from one of his Dirty Harry movies, you uh, made my day. <laughs> Thank you. That's uh, don't leave. I'm just going to stop recording. Uh, come back. Uh, I'm stopping recording. We'll do a little quick wrap.